how much ever you do over a video call, there's only that much you can do. The nuances of body language, the little bit of gestures you do, how do you read them? All of that is so critical in sales, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in tourism, it is more important because you need to have the passion come across and you need to be able to relate to the person's requirement and you need to be able to translate that into an experience. So, and all of that takes a while and if they meet you, they feel that much more comfortable. So this technology helps, it's a leverage, it's not the end all. Welcome everyone to the Tourism Chat Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we're talking with an inbound operator who used the COVID years to reinvent and reposition his business and enter new markets. I welcome Kumar from Experience to the show. Kia ora, Kumar. Kia ora, Michelle. Thank you for having me in the show. I'm just really honoured to be on the show. Cool. It is great to have you here. Now, what we like to do with our guests before we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation is just to get to know you a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about your favorite holiday destination and why it is? Okay. My favorite holiday destination is Kaikoura. Mm, okay. And it is my favorite destination back when we just moved from the U.S. in 20, 2002. And in the winter of 2003, we went for a holiday just to Kaikoura from Wellington. We reached Kaikoura and I set my eyes on it. I just fell in love with it. Maybe it was the winter season. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I'm not a very ocean kind of a person. I'm not a beachy type person, but I just love the, the inward ranges and the seaward ranges and everything about Kaikoura. So, and I instantly struck me like a very romantic seaside town, rustic, quaint. It's not modern like many other European and American, like Sausalito, for instance, which I used to go regularly and things. I used to love Sausalito and Carmel, but nothing like Kaikoura. So that's my favorite destination. And I try to include that as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And how often do you get back to Kaikoura now? I haven't since since COVID. I haven't traveled down south, but I will be going to Kaikoura in April because it's peak season now. Once the season dies down, I will be doing my road trip to South Island, which generally I did every year up to 2019 December. Mm -hmm. I do about maybe seven, eight thousand k's in the South Island itself. I travel everywhere, small nooks and crannies, just finding out what's there, what's not there, not necessarily experiencing activities provided by activity providers, but just, you know, seeing things, just sitting at a pub in a small little back of beyond town, having a drink with the locals, talking to them, getting to know what's there, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's always a nice way to travel, isn't it? Yeah. It's always about those people that you meet. No, that makes me also really understand New Zealand in a perspective that I don't think a lot of other, I mean, I don't want to say that, but I don't think a lot of other inbound operators personally do that level of intensity. I'm very passionate about it. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who are not passionate, mm -hmm. but I'm passionate despite the fact that I don't come from the industry and I'm on, I started this because I fell in love with the country, you know, so. Yeah, great. Okay, so let's get into the, the show and why I invited you on to talk to us um, today. Could you give us a little bit of your background in the tourism market and what has led to these changes that you've made in targeting the American audience with now a luxury offering? 
Okay. When I started Experience, I always started it with the name. The name Experience is a play on word. Experiences and New Zealand. And the color of my graphics and the color of my logo is the green of New Zealand, the black of New Zealand, and the silver fern gray of New Zealand. So that's how I put it in. And I decided to call it. And when I started it, I used with the tagline of exclusive New Zealand experiences. Now it's changed to premium New Zealand experiences because exclusive to premium, I felt that because that was so I was always focused on getting into the premium market. And maybe a slight error of judgment was that I decided to get into the Indian market when I, after about 11, 12 months after I started the business, because I thought coming from India, lowest cost market, not because of anything else, not because I'm more comfortable in the market, because I'm actually not, but I was more comfortable with the fact that I have family and I could basically spend months without having to spend on accommodation, you know, those kind of costs. So it became cheaper to sell into the market. Mm -hmm. Little did I know how unstructured the market is. So I got in and for better or worse, because I got in, I'm not the kind who likes to give up. So I decided to go, go on at it, go on at it. And I stuck to what I wanted to offer, which is premium, not compete with the marketplace saying, okay, so I, Sort of, that's how I got into tourism market and premium was always my offer. And I never really did anything like a three star or a motel or anything. And I was always looking at minimum of four star. And I slowly gathered a set of buyers who really understood my value. Mm -hmm. So I possibly did a few, which is like iCards in Queenstown, which was, which literally no one had done from Indian perspective. I think in my best year, which was 2018 and 2019, I must have done about maybe for a small five-room place, I caught, I've done maybe about 11 bookings with them. So at that time, James Kavna, who was a general manager, was really supportive of me. Even now, he's still supportive, even though he's in Rosewood, you know, mm -hmm. so because he really knew that I was passionate and I wanted it. So I've done that. I've done with a few luxury lodges. And you don't get the Indian market spending that kind of money a lot. Mm -hmm. So... I did decide to get into the U.S. market even before COVID. Mm -hmm. However, I wasn't still fully focused on that at that point in time. And because I took part in some luxury events like ILTM. And in 2020, I'd actually registered and paid for my ILTM Americas for 2020 September. But then everything, you know what happened. So yeah. fortunately, I didn't lose that money. I got it back on the ILTM and I've been re-invited for next year. Right. Okay. And also Khans, they've invited me to come and take part in. Mm -hmm. I don't think I have the budgets for any of them at this point <laughs> of time, but I'm looking at it. I, I'm going to the US this weekend. I'm taking part in an event for the first time. And so I'm going full on on a plunge. And so that's what it is. Yeah. Great. And so obviously you're now targeting that American visitor. Yes. Very, what very challenges heavily. have you come across in trying to get into that market? Uh, the biggest challenge, because America is an extremely structured trade organization and perspective from a trade perspective, they have these host agencies, they have consortiums. So where I've still, my biggest challenge was to get my head around what are each of those big name guys? Why are they a host agency? Why are they at a consortia? What does it mean? How does it affect the market? How important are they? How non-important? So those were the challenges. Because it's a vast market in America, again, typically is, funnily enough, 
India is going down that track in terms of not structuring the thing. The way the Indian culture is, they are very materialistic, like the American market has been. So the materialism has not allowed, has not given enough education to the people about what really it is. So they just, most of them used to do it because it was tick in the box, it was easy to buy, it was you know, it didn't matter to pick up whatever it is. It, it, I'm not talking of a destination like New Zealand. It didn't matter whether they went to a 14-day trip in Europe on a bus or whatever. So that's how the market is. And even now, it's still largely there. But the biggest challenge has been is to get things to the right people. And that's taken me entirely sitting here without having to go overseas has taken me almost 11 months to figure out who all and what do I do. And so I'm now going, as I said, I'm leaving this Sunday mm -hmm. on a, I'm back at end of this end of November. So I've done a lot of research and who do I want to speak with? Some I have meetings, others, I'm just going to go wing it from there. But I did in all the efforts, I was lucky enough to, get a couple of agents who are independent travel advisor agencies. I mean, they own their own small agency. And I've got a couple of deals that is happening in end of this year, but through them. So that gave me more encouragement. That means if I more, meet more people like that, I would definitely be able to sell it because the reason I also do a, what you call as a briefing and a debriefing with a client as to whether I do a win or a loss, I say, why? Right? It doesn't work in the Indian market because they don't know how to say it. But with the American market, if somebody says, no, I don't want to work with you, I can ask them why. And they will tell you why. Right? And same way, why did you buy from me? What made you want to buy from me? And they will tell you why. So those things help me improve myself. Mm. So. And how important has technology and online marketing been in reaching and attracting some of those American agents to your business? I mean, technology is everything. And coming from the background that I have been before this, and I've been from the tech industry as such, and in the US when I used to live as well, I was on software, IT sales, everything else. I'm very pro-tech. And technology to me, what is the best has been the information that I could get easier conversations I can have through video conversations, emails that could send to people, and then quick social networking, especially LinkedIn. Not, I'm not talking about social media, more from mm -hmm. a professional networking where I could reach out to a few people, things like that. Funnily enough, on our side, that's how I got my first UK buyer for next year. I've already got bookings. Mm -hmm. And the largest tour operator who've been 10 year in a row as the best tour operator in the UK, who have never bought New Zealand for 29 years. Wow. I connected with this MD over LinkedIn since, and I developed the relationship over a period of nine months. And then finally I got the deal. That's so great. So technology that? using a platform like LinkedIn. So it, it depends on, you've got to have patience for all these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I often wonder now because obviously back in the back in the olden days, <laughs> before we had this technology, it must have been a lot harder when you're like we could have emailed people or faxed 
people, but <laughs> to have the face-to-face -face technology where we can build a rapport online, see each other's faces and have that connection without actually visiting another yeah. country must make it a lot easier these days once you've been able to... Absolutely, absolutely. But I, nevertheless, one of the things that I've noticed, not just in tourism, including in IT and things like that, despite the fact that you're talking to, like in the IT world, you're talking to somebody super senior who knows absolutely everything there is about technology in their field or whatever, still there's an element of relationship that is personal relationship that's required. Mm. Yeah, great. Now, building a, a luxury tourism brand is quite competitive. Mm -hmm. So what strategies have you employed to differentiate yourself and stand out in the American market? Oh, this is going back to my ethos, right? One of the first things that I've liked, I'm, I've never been in like a huge traveler per se, as in like, unlike my daughter who's hungry for travel, you know, I, I, I still travel, but you know, I'm not hungry like the way she was or a lot of other, what you call as wanderlust people. But my travel has been focused on slow travel, meaningful travel, connecting. It's always been, that's why if you see my old websites, you'll see, I like to connect to the locals. I like to connect to the community. I like to be sustainable about what is possible. I like to work with the locals. So, so the kind of thing I'm talking about with the American market and luxury is luxury is not about staying in just a luxury lodge. You could be an uber rich, ultra rich person and you might come and want to stay in Minaret Station or Hooker Lodge. But then if you don't get out of the place and you don't interact with the locals, hmm. you're not experiencing anything. You just come to our one luxury place to another luxury place. And you've had some fancy food, you have some fancy alcohol and you go back and you haven't learned anything. Right. So to me, luxury is about everything, not just accommodation. It's the luxury of. I don't think any other part of the world offers the luxury of independence of what New Zealand offers. That that's the genuine luxury I sell. So that's how I like to differentiate. So when I talk to, I've had conversations with a few high-end American buyers, and I have told them, look, it doesn't matter where the client stays. It's a question of what the client does. Mm. that's luxury right and i explained so that's so i differentiate in that way because a meaningful connection slow travel you're not coming here for even if it's seven days you still do it slow mm. you don't necessarily just come and do everything and go back so that's that's how i like to differentiate and that's think is what the american market is the premium and upper higher class is slowly waking up to not the very rich, because the very rich have no time, really, as far as they're thinking they have. So they just want to fly in and fly out. But then there is the higher end class of high net worth individuals who actually can afford 10 to 15 or 20 days sometimes. And they are really looking for what you will call a soul touching, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of stuff. So I try to resonate with that market. Yeah, cool. So what are some of the more unique experiences that you offer that can connect visitors with locals to give them that really authentic experience? So not necessarily unique, I would say. So I give you a simple idea. There's, uh, if you take the glowworms in New Zealand, it's quite endemic to New Zealand and they're quite unique. So I would think if you have time, yes, you should experience glowworm. But do I think I want to send you to Waitomo? No, I don't send you to Waitomo. There's another place called Spellbound, which is also in Waitomo. It's a more intimate 
more personalized service. It's a more immersive experience of an hour and a half instead of a 25 minute or a 30 minute, almost like a, you know, there is no connecting with the public, mm -hmm. with the guide. Whereas at Spellbound, Peter and Libby and his son, they actually take personal interest in talking to you about everything else, right? And they are intimate groups of 12 people maximum they will take at one time. So I discovered him in 2019. I didn't know before that. And now I don't want to go to anybody else. I don't do large volumes of people. And if I do get like a 20 people, which I've asked him and he'll do, he said, yeah, I can do that. But are they? then I have to explain to the client that you have to wait mm -hmm. to enjoy it. So it's a nearly hour and 20 minutes of immersive experience with him. So that gives you, he talks a lot more about what can happen. So that kind of a, that's rather unique in a, in itself, right? Mm -hmm. So the other kind of unique is down in Dunedin, you have Perry and Martin and Tracy, right? And the typical, very, very, homegrown Kiwis, right? I mean, complete Kiwi to the core. And I just love that because they, everything is all right with them. So they don't really have fantastic systems. They don't rely on technology, but all they're relying on is on their very Jewish word to say chutzpah right? and what they really like and everything else. So I think you can't get closer than that. This is this Tash and Christian, the Franz Joseph, they run guided tours. And I, so all of these I've completely converted to private. I don't want to be mingled with anybody. So this is where it is. It's not luxury of staying. It's a luxury. The, to me, the luxury is when you go for an experience and you've got 25 other people hanging around there, you're lost in the crowd, mm -hmm. right? You want to have intimate, personal, spiritual experience with whatever you're able to touch with, right? So I will then exclusively hire out. So it, Tasha's got 14 people in a guided tour. I pay for the whole 14, even if it's two people. Mm. Okay. So, and sometimes I try and demand it. And some people in the market don't understand it. But people like Tash and the people who genuinely care, they know what I want. And so this is how I work with my suppliers or partners. I don't call them suppliers, my partners. And I get them to be involved so they know my guests. Mm -hmm. So now you see that's connection with the people, locals, community. Yes. That's that's where it comes from. Yeah, it's that whole concept around arriving as visitors, leaving as whānau, isn't it? Yes. It's, yeah, it's a really nice connection. So what are the big differences that you've noticed between the American travellers and the Indian travellers when it comes to expectations or their travel behaviours? I'm assuming that there's going to be some pretty key differences there. It, it, there are some commonalities. Mm -hmm. And let me first explain the commonality. Both of them are high demand clients. Mm -hmm. The Indian market, it doesn't matter whether they buy you a budget one, they still want to demand you. But the American market, when they pay for it, they expect something for it, right? So in the Indian market, the ones that pay for it are actually the ones that don't expect it. Mm -hmm. What they are doing is because they come from a background that is not nouveau-rich. They come from a culturally rich background, the ones who are respectful and things. Now, I've got right now guests mm -hmm. going. And they should have landed just now, around now in Queenstown. They're from a city in South. And they met all the two women and the man and 67, 68-year-old guy people. 
they had lots of things they wanted to get done before, as in make sure that they got the right things. They've done it and they're doing a 22-day holiday, right? Mm -hmm. And now there's no more demand from them. They know it'll come through. That difference with that American market, these are very, very wealthy people. So if that American person comes here with a similar wealth, they expect services to be in the way they get it in the U.S. They don't think this is a different country. Mm -hmm. So like when I explained to this Indian family, extremely wealthy these three people are, I explained to them, look, you don't call a waiter and ask for an check here, everything else. You just walk up to the table and if you like leaving a tip, you leave a tip at the counter. But otherwise you walk up to the hall. He said, they didn't know that. They were really pleasantly surprised. And I said, so there are certain cultural differences and they were happy to embrace it instantly, you know, yeah. a little nuances of it. You can't tell that to an American high-end client because they think I'm paid the money. I expect it, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the middle class of Americans and the older generation of Americans who like to travel in small integrate groups, they are open to suggestions and they very much welcome your lessons that you give them, you know, and they're keen to absorb that information. So that's, there is culturally, these are the nuances I'm noticing that they're very different. And that I know because I lived in the U.S. and I know how they expect things to be. The only difference is the Indians tend to throw their weight around a bit. The ones that think they need to throw their weight around. Mm -hmm. Americans don't throw their weight around, but there is a sense of expectation. Right. Yeah. And have you had to make many changes to your itineraries or the experiences? No, that actually, that's surprisingly no. The reason yeah. is I think mine sat well with the upper end of the Indian market, which needed highly bespoke. I do very bespoke mm -hmm. and I do very personalized. So that is what I'm carrying on to the American market. And the moment I started to speak to, like I have another meeting actually on Monday, uh, Zoom with a California client, very large, very large buyer. I mean, not a client, a potential buyer. They got interested in what I do. They went to my website and they said, they asked for the Zoom meeting when I'm there in Miami next week on Monday. And they want, they got about 600 or 650 independent travel advisors under their label and they want to know if there's any way we can work together now because they see what I can offer them. So they saw some of my itineraries. So mine are designed that way, which is the philosophy is again, slow and meaningful. And I think it is resonating with the, the target market I'm after in the US. Yeah, awesome. And I guess we're coming to the end, Nili Kumar, but what are your future plans and vision for your tourism business? Do you see yourself evolving into new markets again, or are you just happy to? I'm looking at I'm looking at largely English speaking market, mm -hmm. which means I might want to extend the same similar offerings, but that would be B two C, not B two B in Australia, because Australia it's not going to be with a B two B kind of stuff. It's going to be with direct market. So I'll start promoting extensively end of this year on extensively promoting direct into the market. Again, no compromises, no anything. It's going to be premium. You want it, take it. If you don't want it, it doesn't matter. You know I mean? Because there's always somebody else who might want it. Correct. And you mentioned earlier that 
all of your itineraries are bespoke itineraries. Mm. Is there anything at the moment that's really hot, really popular that nearly everybody is requesting when they come to New Zealand? Everybody, no. It's, 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 the funny part is just everyone seems to have their own bit of research they have done some friends have done it so mm -hmm. what little they know they they try to get it like i got this eight retired doctors from the uk coming in end of jan they first wanted to do in 19 21 days they're here they wanted to do something that was so to me boring right and i got to know their age and then now they're completely changed there's not even an 20% element of what they wanted in the new design that I presented. So I was able to change their thinking. So it's a question is, if you can educate your buyer, and it wasn't the, the guest that I educated, it was the buyer who is receptive to listening to you. And instead of saying, no, the client wants Nelson. And then I ask him, why Nelson? You know, in a sense, you give me a reason why. I'm happy to understand and give you Nelson, but why Nelson? You know, that kind of stuff. So... So I question, and I think the buyers that like my questioning work with me. And the buyers who think maybe I'm too arrogant because I'm questioning them because saying, who the hell are you to ask me why Nelson, you know? But I'm not asking it to heck of it. I'm actually wanting to know what made you choose Nelson? Yeah. yeah. Or what made you choose Bay of Island or Auckland or any place? Why? What made you want that? Yeah. You know, so what if I give you an option? after I hear you that maybe Nelson is not the best bet for you. You don't need to be there. Or maybe Bay of Island isn't one for you. You know, you don't know, you know what you don't know. So that's how then, I do it. Yeah. And once you get to know the traveler's interests, well, you can start to say, well, actually there's an experience in this part of the country that yes. might really suit them. And, and then it becomes a, a very personalized itinerary and obviously matched very closely to what they're interested in and what they want to do. And that's a much better service all around as well, isn't it? What I have started is this other website, which is called South of 34 Degrees, which is basically mm. Cape Palliser being 30, south of 34, everything south of that. And it's curated premium small group journey. And as no one else, it's a branded product that is going to be sold as a product into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's focused around English-speaking markets. I might want to have a look at a Taiwan at some point, but largely English-speaking. And it is only designed for 10 adults at any time. It's no children, no single share, nothing. It's 10 adults. And it's premium all the way, not luxury. It's premium all the way. Concierge driver style guide, not hosted, but concierge driver style guide. No food offering and say eat in your restaurant because food in New Zealand is so good these days. We, I think we punch up our weight when it comes to food. You know, I mean, in terms of cuisine, yeah. even if it's a Vietnamese cuisine, I think we do an amazing job. So why would I want to have a holiday goer coming for 15 days and lock up with meals except if it is tamaki or something like that, you know, yeah. because I want you to enjoy what's available here. So I'm going to give you that kind of option. So I sell those small group tours now. I'm trying to push that. That is what is more interesting in the U.S. market, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Righty-o. Now, look, before we finish up, Kumar, I've just got a few quick-fire questions for you. So yeah. we do this with all of our guests, and it's just a fun way to wrap up our chat. So just whatever pops into your head is the first thing when I ask you these questions, and we'll fire away. Hey, you ready? Yeah. 
Okay. Who's the most famous person in your phone contacts? A guy called Steve O'Shea, to be actually precise. He's a Kiwi dude, but he is possibly one of the world's best marine biologists or whatever you would call it, oceanographer. He's the guy who was in Neva. Now he lives in France. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a very good friend of mine. To me, he's famous because he's come on Discovery Channel. He speaks about the most, the giant squids. He's the authority on giant squids and globally. So he's come on several Discovery or National Geographic kind of shows. So I think he's yeah. the most famous in my book. Perfect. And who would play you in a movie about your life? Don't even go there. I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to. <laughs> I'm too. I, I, I am too full on for anybody. I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, but they're actors. They get paid to act. Like. I know. <laughs> then it might be my my son, maybe, who might say, "Okay, I will do that." <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. And what's your favorite book? Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Okay. I read it when I was 13 years old, and that's 51 years ago. So. And have you read it again since? I have read it more than 20 times and I have read it to my children when they were young as their nighttime bedtime stories. That's why they love Lord of the Rings as a movie and everything else. Yeah, awesome. And what's one thing that you've done that you would never do again? You're asking me a very tricky question. <laughs> Quick fire, come on. <laughs> I wouldn't wear a suit again. Okay, that's a good one. Ever. And who's your hero? Jack Welch, actually. Mm -hmm. Jack Welch was the former G GE Group chairman, businessman, a very good person, the way he wrote. And I read his book, his biography several years ago. And I thought, man, he's like my hero in the way he thinks and what he wants to do. I'm nowhere near any standards of that. Yep. I'm not trying to emulate it, but I think Jack Welch and then my dad. Yeah, nice. And finally, this is the one that always catches people out. What's your favourite New Zealand destination? I think we know this anyway, don't I we? I always say Kaikoura, but you asked me what's a favourite New Zealand experience. Yes. Let me tell you one of this very quick story. This is before we moved to New Zealand. We'd come for a holiday. We, we, then my wife, a friend of ours from here, we drove down south. And it was the middle of winter and... We got stuck near Rakaia Gorge on a very, very clear night, late night when we lost our, we got lost, right? And we were stuck, stuck at the Rakaia Gorge bridge. And I got down to have a smoke. At that time I used to smoke. So, and I saw the lights about me and we were very close to the, the then not now IDSR. At that time it was not an IDSR region, right? So very close to the Tekapo border range. So I got out and I looked at the place. It was stunning. It was maybe about 8.30 in the night. It was winter, freezing cold. I told my wife and my friend, come on out. The kids were both sleeping. At that time, my children were very young. And we turned off the lights. We stubbed away our cigarettes. We turned the thing off. We waited for a clear five, six minutes outside in the cold air. When we I settled, it was the most truly elevating experience because everything, it was a moonless, clear night. I cannot get, I've even posted it on LinkedIn about it very recently. What it, it was so incredible, the experience to watch it live. That was a tourism experience on itself. Yeah, yeah, that's And really I still fun. remember that. Yeah, I've got a very similar story, actually. I hosted a, a mega for mill from the UK mm -hmm. back to New Zealand in 2002. And 
we were on the ferry from Russell back to Paihia mm -hmm. and the same thing. We just all sat out on the, the back deck of the ferry and looked up. And I remember it was quite an emotional experience for the agents who were on board because when you live in big cities like London and Manchester, you just don't see stars. You can't like see that. all that. So, yeah, it is, this is that, You're talking of I came from California at that point in time. I was living in the Bay Area vibrant Silicon Valleys of, of the country, you know, and lots of things happening there, fast pace. Here I've come, I lost my way, not lost my way. I just kind of took the wrong turn from Methuen. So I was in Rakaia Gorge from Methuen, <laughs> went the other way around. And this was 2000, in 2001, July. Uh, it was July, 2001. Yes. So I tell you, it was a real spiritually uplifting experience to see something that we've never experienced in our life. Mm. And that's another reason why now that fortunate that we're actually selling Dark Sky Region as a tourism thing. Un until people see it, they actually don't have any clue what it means to see an a sky just lit up with stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, so uh, It's spine-tingling at times. Like you said, you have that emotional experience. It is yes. very emotional, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah very emotional. Well, Kumar, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to have a chat on the Tourism Chat show and we really appreciate the time that you've given us today and wish you all the best with your trip to the States. Look forward to catching up when you get back and hear about how that all went. And Yes, um, we'll do that. Thank you yeah. so much, Michelle, for having me on and really appreciate that. And thanks for your wishes. Listeners, that wraps up our show and chat with Kumar today. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Really interesting to hear his perspective on moving into new markets and just what some of those differences are between them. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Now, if you'd like some behind the scenes glimpses at what we're doing, come over to Instagram and follow us. We are at the Tourism Chat Show. So find us there. You will never miss any of the news that's happening you'll always be up to date with who's coming on to the show and we will be back next Wednesday with another great guest lined up to talk to you so next week we have a very special episode lined up for you we have a new series starting called Trends Unpacked and it's in partnership with Tourism Industry Aotearoa we are bringing you a series of episodes all about trends and next week it's a cracker we've got Lou Badley from Rotorua NZ joining us and she was a first timer to trends last year so tune in next week and hear about her experience and she'll share some tips with you on how to go about it what to not be scared about what she'd do better for next year so all of those things she's got loads of tips join us and we will see you next Wednesday Ka kite.